Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline. I write the How to Decorate blog. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Karen. I head up Ballard's branding team. We're We're your hosts. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for the tips, tricks, and tales of interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of the show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at BallardDesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. And now, on with the show. Okay, so our guest today is a Los Angeles-based designer who's been in the interior design business for 15 years. Before opening her own firm, she worked for some of Hollywood's most prestigious teams. Her work has been featured in House Beautiful, House and Home, Martha Stewart, and many more. And we are thrilled to have her, Kate Lester. Thank you. Thanks for having me, you guys. Welcome, Kate. And Caroline, just so you know, I already called Kate out as a liar because there's no way <laughs> that she can have worked for 15 years in the industry and still look like she's 25. She looks <laughs> so young. If you guys could see her, you'd be like, oh my gosh. And she's got a cute hat. She's so California cool. That's just because I didn't want to wash my hair. Don't let it fool you. Okay. The hat is part of my signature style because I am inherently lazy when it comes to like my hair. So I have now incorporated it as like something that is part of my signature style and I'm just going to roll with it. So, Well, similar to your hat, your rooms have this beachiness to them. I want our listeners to imagine sort of these beachy open rooms, but none of it. It's Here's the interesting part. There's not any of those standard beachy elements that you would expect. It's not, you know. It's very California cool. Yes. that California cool, right? Thank you. That's what we're going for. It's all about saying that I don't need a sign that says the beach is that way when you can literally see the ocean from the living room, right? So we always say, you know, we can do better than that. It's not a theme party. So let's think how can we infuse some of our clients' voice and our clients' lives into the space without just like using shell wallpaper. You know, we can do better than that. So, And not even tons of blue. I mean, you use a lot of blue cabinetry, but your walls for the most part. Right. I'm a, yeah, I'm a weirdo when it comes to walls. I like white walls or like a warm white. We use a lot of Simply White by Benjamin Moore. That's one of my favorite white paint colors. But please always do samples in your own home. Don't like take my word for it and just paint your whole house with Simply White. But (laughs) I think that, you know, it's always about thinking outside the box. And if everybody else is painting all their walls gray, maybe let's paint the trim gray and the walls white. So you really try to try to do things differently if we can, but still be able to infuse that like California cool vibe. I mean, I grew up in Southern California. My husband is actually an LA County lifeguard. So he's like literally David Hasselhoff, like that's his job. So our life is very much centered around ocean activities, ocean sports. You know, I grew up surfing. My daughter is five and she surfs. So this is just something that's sort of ingrained in my culture and my identity. And I think a lot of people move here or live here for that. And if we can help them bring that into their home in a, in a more like cool way, so it's not so literal, then that makes me happy. But how does that translate into a space? I think it just depends on, you really have to get to know your clients, right? So for me, it's really important that the spaces are authentic. And that's a really like loaded word for us when we design, right? It's always about the space being authentic. It's really important to me that like my Instagram personality, my own personality is authentic to who I am, which is like a little bit outside of the design lady box. I wear ripped jeans and hats to all my meetings, right? And 
it's a little edgier of a vibe. I do say bad words a lot. And um, so I'm, I'm <laughs> do my best today, be on my best behavior. So I think, I think it's really about like learning about your clients. And then we like to say that we're making their home like a cooler version of them that they might not be able to like dig out and, and find out. So if they are really into star Wars or they, whatever it is they're into, how do we sort of translate that and make that every room doesn't have to feel coastal, but how does the overall feel of the home? You know, those white walls, those, those natural textures, a lot of, you know, seagrass and washed, washed or bleached woods, and then I think linens. I mean, there's just a really a few things that you can do that just inherently bring out a coastal vibe, whether people realize it or not. They just walk in and they're like, this feels beachy and there's not a shell anywhere, right? But I think it's those things. I think it's natural light is huge. So if you're renovating your home and you want that sort of more coastal inspired vibe. I think a lot of it has to do with just light, just natural light. Like, can you get a transom above a door? Can you make the windows bigger? That's the first thing I do when we get on board on a new build project is I go through and I make all the windows bigger. And so natural light is, is absolutely a design element. And it's just like, just like a sofa or a wallpaper. It's, it has that much importance as well. Okay, let me ask you a question. Sure. Now, you are a California girl and you live in California and you design California rooms. So I hope I'm not stumping you. But, all right, I grew up at the beach. I'm like a water baby. But now I live in the Woodland Hills of Atlanta. So if I'm building a house and I'm wanting to kind of, like I imagine it's easy to give a home an authentic beachy vibe when you are at the beach. But how can I do that in a way in a space that's like, say, in Minnesota or, you know, in the middle of the country? Yeah. So the first thing you have to do is, first of all, you got to look at your home's architecture, right? Because if you have a completely contemporary home or Spanish home or Mediterranean home or Cape Cod, you want to honor that in some form or shape. Okay. But I think the next question you want to ask yourself is what about that beachy moment in these homes or in your old home or whatever it is speaks to you? So if you really broke it down and you went through those images, what is it? Is it the bright walls? Is it the natural light? Is it the textures from the carpets? And then you can integrate that into your new space into a way that makes a little bit more sense because you don't want people to feel like, oh, what's happening here? Did she just like relocate her old house, right? So we do homes. I mean, we have two lake houses. We also have two snow cabins and I shouldn't call them cabins because they're 10,000 square feet, but you can do that. And if your clients, we have a client that has a house in Manhattan Beach and in Park City, Utah, and the vibe is different, but there's still sort of a running thread of, we're not using white leather. We're not using like horned things and animal skins everywhere, right? So we're still keeping it sort of fresh, but we are understanding that it's a mountain home, right? So the elements are going to be a little, maybe more masculine, deeper. So I think if you remember some of that and say, you don't have to go one way or the other, you don't have to be a hundred percent all in to your mountain home or to your beach home. You can fly somewhere in the middle and then have you know a great piece of art that is maybe coastal inspired, or you can have your textural carpets, or you can have your white walls. You don't have to do it all, but you have to find out what what those things are that speak to you, and I think integrate them slowly. No beach signs. Mm-hmm. No beach signs. Though. <laughs> what if it's authentic? What if it was a real sign <laughs> real that was once on a beach? You know what? Then I'm into that, actually. I, I would be into that. But the one that's like painted, if I, know, <laughs> is, I don't want that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I actually, my, my husband's dad once, my last name is McDonald, and they found some sign that was like from a dairy and it said McDonald's pasteurized milk. So we do have <laughs> cool. this old milk yeah. sign. But it looks like it could totally be kitschy from like, you know. But it's legitimate. Like there's the yeah, way of it's actually, it. yeah. Yeah. I don't I think <laughs> that that's really cool if it's important to you an old street sign or something. I love that is if it's authentic and it's actually meaningful to your family. It's just like if you bought it at a cart in the mall, then I don't want you to use it. <laughs> well, Kate, when you're talking about natural light and making our windows bigger and et cetera, et cetera, are you putting window treatments on those or do you like to leave them bare? I do. No, I do. I mean, we... We really think about window treatments being functional here by the beach. Everybody is like on top of each other, right? The land is at such a premium and the space is such a premium. So it's a lot of times it's a privacy issue for us, right? I mean, sometimes our clients will have to frost a window because there's no way you could put the window shade up and down that many times a day and they want that natural light. So sometimes we frost. I'm a big fan of the fabric. Roman shade. I love it. I love a good pattern fabric Roman shade. I'm also a big fan of just like a simple ripple fold drape. So yes, we, you know, we do some drapery. We keep it really clean and simple. Even if the home is more traditional, we still do a ripple fold and we don't do like really fancy hardware or anything. We don't use trim. We just keep it simple and functional. What's a ripple fold? So ripple fold is where at the top, you know, where it would be pleated with a pinch or maybe it would, you know, in cases of, you know, maybe in areas where things are a little more formal, you can have all kinds of things happening at the top there, pinches and fans. And, and so it's not, it just literally curves. So it's just a very tight, if you stay at a hotel, most of the time, the drapes are ripple fold up in that header, which you can't really see. And it provides the most stacking capability so that your your stack is as tight as you can get it. So all those little pleats means you need more room. If you do a ripple fold, it means that you need less room. Like a grommet drape is a ripple fold essentially, right? Because it's it, there's no treatment of pleat at the top. And so what happens is you can push it all the way over. And so that maximizes for most of our clients a view or natural light. And so we try for that and it, it just takes up less real estate. Okay. I'm I'm looking at one in your portfolio. So it's really kind of just like a like a flat panel, but you're putting the pins at the top to where it's right. Yeah. So it, yeah, exactly. There's no treatment at the top, right? So it's really simple. And a lot of times we'll use a white linen or ivory linen and just and use that throughout the whole house. I tend to save the pattern drapery or, or things that are really great for maybe a kitchen or kitchen window or office window, something really fun. But a lot of times we keep the drapes really classic. And if you think about like Malibu or you think about those spaces that inspire you when you think of the ocean, it really is usually like a white wall and white linen. And so if we can infuse that in drapes instead of in furniture, because most people don't want to have white linen sofa because it's not functional, that helps. That helps sort of give you some of that California vibe. But you do, it looks like really like a lot of pattern in a rug moroccan rugs because you have you have a shop you even sell them an online store people can go to so yeah talk a little bit about that how that pattern you like that pattern and how you work it in i do like i mean i love pattern don't get me wrong i think that pattern is just so interesting and i think people are afraid to layer pattern and one of the biggest pushbacks we get from people is don't you think that would be too busy 
And it's like never too busy. I mean, I guess it could be, but unless you're like wallpapering the walls and the ceiling and the rug, I mean, just adding in a patterned rug or a few patterned throw pillows or a patterned chair is not too busy. So don't worry. It's not just do it. I love vintage rugs. I love vintage Turkish rugs. I love reproductions of vintage rugs if they're good and they're not too shiny. I think that good vintage rug gives you that pattern that you're looking for in a way that is a little bit more classic, right? So you're not getting, I think what happens is when you're doing a pattern rug that's maybe a little more trendy, that doesn't give you as much longevity as something that is like a vintage Turkish rug that has been, maybe it was made 80 years ago. So that pattern gives you so much more longevity. So if you are going to invest in a high quality rug, I do suggest investing in something with a more geometric or traditional sort of Turkish pattern, Persian pattern, so that it really grounds your space. And then I think that's an investment that A, is easy to clean because you can use a a carpet company to come and clean it. It's made of wool, real wool. It's safe for your family, right? So you don't have a lot of chemicals and things happening because it's not made in a factory with who knows what. And I think it's interesting, right? So a lot of these rugs are interesting. Maybe you pick something that's has a little bit more of a traditional pattern, but your house is is more contemporary. That's okay. It's a great juxtaposition. So I think going big on the rugs, our rug budgets are always pretty high for our clients. I'd rather maybe use an inexpensive white linen on the drapes and do a really killer rug because that's also something that if you get a great vintage rug, no one else has that. There's only one. I mean, it was made by hand. So it's a really high quality and piece to invest in. And now with like Etsy, I mean, even my store, Kate Lester Home, give a little plug, you know, you can go on Etsy, you can go on Cherish, you can go on, you know, One Kings Lane, all of these places for real vintage rugs. And then I know you guys have, you know, Ballard has great options for things that are representative of vintage drugs and they may be remade, but that's okay. You can start there to sort of like get the vibe and then see if you're ready to invest in something that's handmade. So yeah. Hand knotted is totally hand knotted is like the upper echelon. Yes. Well, okay. I was, I don't think this was on the podcast. I think someone told me this recently, but I thought it was so interesting. The reason that you know, your rug is like below your sight line. And so you can go a lot busier on your rug because you're not, your eyeballs are like not really seeing it as, I guess, dramatically. And they're not like taking it in as much as something in your like three feet, six line, feet right. level. Yeah. So I thought that was so smart. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's covered like 80% of your rug is, or 60%, let's say, is covered by a sofa, two chairs, a coffee table. And so I think you really want to take that into consideration. So when we're laying things out, you know, for people at home, if you're designing your own space and you're not doing some sort of like layout or concept board, like with Microsoft Word or tacking it up on your wall with tape, you should. You should lay out your rug and then you should put your furniture pieces and your fabrics and you should look at it all together instead of buying things or designing things in a vacuum. That's when you'll run into your worst problems. Like you're like, oh, it's so leggy. All these things have legs. And so we find that that happens if you're not really taking the time and energy. If you're going to redo your space, have a concept board, even if you're not going to buy everything at once, then at least you have a goal, right? And you know exactly how fabulous it's going to be in the end as you save up and you work toward those things instead of just being like, oh, I'm at, I'm online. They're having a sale. So I bought this green chair. Like what the hell, where are you going to put that? So that was a mistake. Expensive yeah. Mistake. Expensive. And now we have to design the whole room around this green chair that you don't even really love. So be really thoughtful in your purchases. And I always circle back to that with, with the vintage rugs or with vintage textiles or a great piece of art, a great light fixture, really know what you're investing in and have a plan. 
Yeah, I love that advice too. And also like if you are a bargain shopper, you can wait until that thing that you've been dying for that's on your board comes on, yeah, it goes on sale and yeah. You can check every week or whatever you can. Yeah, exactly. Or you know what you're looking for. So you could go to a flea market and be like, oh my God, I, I found the chair. I just need to recover it. So you really have the direction and you can keep like fold it up and keep it in your purse, you know? So if you're at home goods, you're like, oh, does this checkered ottoman go with my vibes? So I think it's really important. I think people that would save people like a lot of time and energy and money if they, if they really did that for each space in their house. You also do a lot of pattern on the floor with tile. I do. I like it pattern floor. Yeah. And that's, I bet that's scary for some people. Super scary. I mean, I guess maybe not as scary now because they've seen it on my, they've seen it on the website and I feel like it's a little bit more mainstream, but in the beginning it was super scary, right? I was like, oh, we're going to take your master bathroom and we're going to put this like weird checkered thing everywhere. And then I'm going to put a pattern rug on top of it. So a lot of times we do the styling after. And so we get people to commit to this great tile. And then when we do our big reveal, we bring in the styling, like the rug and the, because a lot of times they can't see the forest through the trees, right? They don't, they can't envision how my, you know, pink and yellow and orange pattern rug is going to work on top of their black and white and gray tile. And there's no way it's not going to be too busy. So we just let them roll with it. We buy the rug, we put it down. They love it. If they don't love it, then I'll bring it to my house. So I'm not worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> but 99.9% of the time, they're like, don't touch anything. It's amazing. So I think the pattern floor is like you said, it's out of your sight line. And it's a great way to ground your space. If you're going to do a pattern floor, I have just two quick suggestions. If you're going to do a pattern floor, keep it classic, right? So make sure it's colors that like you're inherently drawn to like blues or navy blues or grays or whatever it is that that you feel like you're never going to not love, right? Like if you kind of like turquoise, don't do a turquoise pattern floor. Really do something that you know is going to bring you joy. Do it in spaces that could use some cheering up. In a laundry room, we almost always do a pattern floor because laundry is terrible and laundry is boring. <laughs> and when you're in there, you're like, why not have a great pattern shade and a great pattern floor and maybe colored cabinets just so that you don't want to die every time you go in there. So the other trick we use is we often tile the shower dam as well. So we go up and over the shower dam with the pattern tile. And that in fact makes your tile man hate you, by the way. So be prepared because he has to miter everything. But it actually, when you look at the room from the doorway, it gives the illusion that the tile goes all the way into the shower. And we do usually take the tile all the way into the shower. And then it makes your room feel bigger. So when people are cutting off with like marble at the dam and then a different shower tile, I tend to stay away from that because it, it visually chops up your space. So same with buying a rug that's too small or furniture that's too small. If you go bigger with your tile layout, then your room will feel more expansive. It's almost the same look as like curbless, but yeah, damnless. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I don't always have that luxury, right? We're not always building. And then a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, my kid will run and slip if they don't know where the shower starts and ends. So we do use the shower dam pretty, pretty consistently. And then exactly, you just, you just tile up and over it. Mm-hmm. Okay, back to the vintage rug question or the, the vintage rug topic. Obviously, you go out, you find this beautiful vintage rug. Are there any other things that you need to do, like when you're putting it down? Like, like a rug right pad. Floor pad. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, first you should get it cleaned because a lot of times they smell so bad. So especially if you're like me and you're like a bargain hunter and I'm at the flea market and I'm digging, I'm like, oh my God, I love this rug, right? If you shake it, like it's probably got like dust from 1920 in it, right? So so 
I would take it to a local rug store and, you know, any of your local rug vendors will probably be able to clean it for you. Or you can have a, if it's a larger size, you can have like a regular carpet cleaner. You lay it out and they'll come and clean it for you. So that's like thing number one. I've also hosed them off in my backyard, but I like don't like, don't try that at home kids because it was a mess. So don't do that. That was only when I dropped like a protein shake on it. It was a mess, but just don't do that. Just have it cleaned. A great rug pad is important. It just depends on what your door clearances are, right? So if you get one of those really cushy rug pads, but your doors are really close to your floor, then you won't be able to open your door over your rugs. Then you maybe want to use those ones that you can buy at like Home Depot or regular. So we use both kinds of rug pads as long as you're not slipping on the rug. Most hand knotted rugs are really comfortable already. So you don't need that extra cushion. A lot of times the sizes and stuff, you want that. But for a good vintage, you should be able to just use a regular Home Depot rug pad or whatever. Does the rug need to match my room? No. 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 Right? So a lot of times we start with the rug and a piece of art. And then everything else goes between. Because here's how I feel. Finding a great rug is super hard. And finding a killer piece of art is super hard. Do you know how easy it is to find a sofa fabric? There's like 30,000 billion sofa fabrics, right? So we always start with the hard things, the light fixture, the art, the rug, because those are the things that I know there's only like 10 out there I'm going to like, right? So I start with those hard things and then build around them. And I think that helps a lot too, because you're going to fall in love with a chandelier. You're going to fall in love with a piece of art or a rug, and then you're going to want to build especially if you're investing and those are probably your three highest quality pieces and they're probably going to be the most expensive. So I think those are the items that we tend to start with and then sort of like fan out like cool chair, or cool sofa, something like that. But the one thing I always tell my team and we always do every time we're designing a space is like, what's our one weird thing? What's the one thing that's going to push our client out of their comfort zone. And what's the, why did they hire us? Right. Because if I design like a super pretty safe room, that's nice, but you could have spent like half that money on someone, like probably half as talented as me to do that for you. So how am I like really embracing my role as your decorator or designer, whatever you want to call it. And pushing you to the limits and creating a space that people are talking about, or that you're like, wow, this really came together. And I was nervous, you know? So I think that's what we always say is like, what's our one weird thing in this room? And if it doesn't have it, you need to find it. Is it your weird, maybe your rug is kind of bright or maybe you have two, two patterns that you're not sure if they're working, but they're kind of working. So I think it's important to have pieces that people want to talk about when they come into your space. I always say, I'd rather someone walked into a room that we designed and walked out and was like, I don't like that, than said nothing because it's so boring that they like didn't even notice that we were there. So I'd rather that. Yeah, always. I do think that that's just amongst friends and stuff when they're working on their rooms. I do think that that's something that people don't do. And that's what really sets apart a great room. Even, I'm not even talking necessarily about designers' rooms, but just like your friend's house that you go to and they've done it themselves. What sets about the really special spaces versus the others are they've took risks. You know what I mean? Because I get wanting to go safe. I get it. You're investing. You want something that's going to last a long time. Makes total sense. But to your point, okay, get the neutral sectional. 
get some classic antiques that maybe your grandmother gave you or something, but then get like a great rug that maybe was a little bit of a splurge, but it's different and it's special. Or like if your whole room is leaning super traditional and you have these great antiques and it's great traditional rug, then maybe get a great abstract piece of art, right? Get that juxtaposition in there and you'll see that it works. You know, if your colors are on point or maybe everything's neutral and then you get a big colorful piece of art or a big colorful rug. I think people want everything to be perfect. Like they see on Pinterest and they want it to like, sometimes safe is like better because it's like perfect. And I think perfect is boring. And I think safe is boring. So I think it's better that your space tells something about you. You know, I think if I'd rather see people framing like their kids, like stick figures and hanging it up as art, than I would rather than like a beach sign. So I think, you know, have your space say something about you, frame your really great, you know, farm sign that you got that's representative of a memory or something, you know, wonderful to your family, than just buying a piece of art that's, you know, was on sale. So I do think that's important. And think about it like your outfit, like yes. 90% of your room maybe is safe. That's cool. But then that 10%, it's just 10%. 10%. Like, <laughs> You know, 10% great, and then, great hat, and then great maybe if you want to go to 20% is risky, then do that. And you know what, you guys, like I, a lot of designers get mad. I'm sure that I say this, but like, I'm really into high low, right? So like, I got like a lot of Cartier bracelets on, but my jeans are from Target and they were like $11.99. So I think it's really all about that. Like rocking your Target jeans with your Gucci sneakers or your rug that you invested or your light fixture that was $14,000, but you've got a great vase at home goods. You just like dug through a pile and like, this is cool. So for me, some of the best art I have in my own home was like at the bottom of a pile at a flea market and had to like peel it apart. I was like, Oh, I'm going to frame this. It'd be great. Something I have is like a sticker of a hotel in Paris that I found. And it's like, if I stick this on cardstock and then I double matted and, and it's great. So I think like get creative if your budget isn't big. We didn't all start out. Like I remember decorating my college apartment with like two side tables I found on the side of the road that I spray painted. I mean, not everyone starts out with a huge budget and even our most, most affluent clients still have a budget. It's just an exorbitant one, but it's a budget. So, you know, don't be afraid to high low and just, you have to put some high in. Otherwise it's just low. If you just low everything, you know, you need that juxtaposition of those really high quality pieces to then, you know, be able to slide in those other ones, trick people. Okay. I noticed that you use a lot of sectionals. I do. And I was wondering if there, you know, there's so many out there, some very, very expensive, some, some very inexpensive, but there's arm heights and there's cushion, you know, bench cushion, three, like, how should we go about sectional shopping in a market that has just endless options? And how can certain design elements of the sectional itself impact the way you're sitting in it or it's looking in your room? Sure, sure. So, you know, you have to decide, of course, where your room is, right? Are you going more contemporary? Are you going more traditional? Or do you need that juxtaposition, right? Do you have a great traditional chair, but you want your sofa to be more clean lined? We do sectionals because they're comfortable. And to be honest, like even a chaise, that's when my family just fights over that one side all day long, right? So I think when people are spending money and they're coming to us and they're moving to the beach or whatever, wherever they're moving, the main thing that we get from the husbands or wives, but usually it's the husbands, is saying, I'm fine, I'll pay whatever, but I want a nice, deep, comfy sofa and I want to be able to sit on it and I want to be able to clean it if we need to. And I don't want to have to have like rules about my sofa, right? 
So that's where we started figuring out, okay, if we have to do these sectionals all the time, how do we make them pretty? How do we make them interesting? And so, yeah, we tend to go with like a cleaner arm detail, something square, slightly rounded. That's also because space is at a premium. Our homes are often tall and not as wide. So if we have precious seating space, we don't want to use a big roll arm because it takes up seating on the sofa. So do a cleaner, cleaner arm and it should be you know, if you're going to do something, it should be where your arm is comfortable to sit or lay or whatever you're going to do on your sofa. And then I like as few seat cushions as possible because nobody wants to sit in the crack of the sofa. It's like, if you have kids, that's where all the toys, McDonald's toys go to die. You know, you, you like lift it up when they like someone, someone's cleaning and you're just like, what is this like a gumball? Like, so (laughs) I think (laughs) we're like a really tidy family, as you can tell. Like, I think to me though, you know, having that one, we do like what we call a bench seat cushion. And then I am new school, so I don't like welt. And welt is the little rope situation on the edge of your box cushion that your kids pick at or like it gets like on your leg if you're wearing shorts. So we do a weltless sofa. I find it's more comfortable and it allows you to just like put your leg anywhere. It's not going to get stuck. So I think fewer cushions, downfilled is a mix of down and poly is great. Know that if you get a more downfilled sofa, you're going to have to fluff it. So you're going to talk to your partner about that and commit to like who's going to fluff it because it's going to look like junk if you don't. And then we like to do a great fill. We like to do some great accent pillows. But I think investing in a sofa that's really comfortable, that's nice and deep. We don't do any sofas less than 40 inches deep. So, you know, a 36 is great if you're small and you have small space. Just know that, you know, you're not going to be able to like curl up as as well. Okay. I though... I'm short, like on a 40 inch deep, I feel like I cannot get out. I'm like the old lady. I'm not old, but I'm like the old lady that like needs a hand to be pulled out of the thing. So is that just, is that something where you get more throw pillows or? Yes. Or you, if you know that about yourself, go sit on some 36 inch or 38 inch sectionals. And then you you can shop online and you know, okay, you know what? I'm more fond of a 38 inch. My husband is like six three, so he's like, yeah, nice try. We're not if I can if it doesn't even come to the back of my knee, like we're not doing this. So I think it's and I don't care. I'll curl my leg, I'll curl my feet up, and my daughter and I will be like to we're on like an island of a cushion, and I'm fine with that. And yes, I do make noise when I get up. I'm like, Ugh. but <laughs> that's you know like that happens when I get up from any chair now that I'm almost forty, so it's fine. But I think that just knowing, like, go sit on things. Even if it's at stores you're not going to buy from, just go sit on some stuff. And that way you know, you know, we used to buy sofas sight unseen, size unseen. Like, it's too hard. So go sit on different things and you'll learn about the fills you like and the cushion styles you like and, you know, do some research and then invest in something with good bones. If you invest in a sofa or sectional with good bones, you can real upholster it until you die. So when we are building custom pieces, they're really solid wood and they're built by hand and we're using highest quality materials. Try to, if you can try to buy the highest quality upholstery that you can afford because the fill will be better. And then you look at it as an investment that sort of that sticks with you and you can reupholster it as you go. Well, and you know, it's going to wear out like so yeah. the fabric and the, but the better quality foam and down that you buy, like, have y'all ever had one of those? Like, I don't know. I feel like we have some foam back cushions on our old couch, but they weren't well made. And so you can kind of, if you take the actual zipper off, you can see where like little foam particles are oh, starting to like, apart. it's just like disintegrating. Yeah, yeah. And so that's going to make it to where you're going to have to replace it eventually. So instead of buying it twice, 
like it the one time. Okay, what about the base of your sectional? Should you be doing an exposed leg, a skirt? Yeah, I think yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is like yes. I mean, the answer is really like it's not that deep, right? So I feel like that should be the title of my book because we're not curing cancer. Like we're just literally decorating people's houses. Like my husband saves people's lives, and I'm like, oh, but I did this great like no wealth so. <laughs> And he's like, okay. So I honestly think that what we do is we do like, um, remember what I told you, you tape, you tape everything up and you do your concept board. Well, we literally do that. And we pin everything up on this huge tack board. And then you look at all your legs, right? So does your chair have exposed legs? Does your coffee table have exposed legs? Does your, and then you, you work backwards because it's going to be too leggy if everything has legs. And then if they're not all matching. So, you know, if your coffee table is a solid, and your chair is a skirt, then yeah, go for the exposed legs on the sofa and then vice versa. So make sure you're just, that's where, again, you can't design in a vacuum unless you want to start with your sofa. And then if that's the most important one to you, then work from there. But I tend to like leave that as a TBD. When we're custom making, we can make the legs whatever we want. And sometimes I just like pick it that day because I want to be reckless. So, you know, who knows? All right. I think we should do our decorating dilemma. Let's do this decorating dilemma. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Lauren is our listener and she says, hi ladies, love the show and listen every week on my commute to work. I've slowly been working on my living room and have recently purchased some prints to frame and I'm looking for your expert advice. Here's the space. The blank wall beside the leather chair is where I would like to put the first print, Blue Marsh. Now she sent us some photos. So of the art she picked. So we're looking at those. I'm trying to decide what would be the best frame color slash finish because the room has lots of gold accents and a few black accents and you can see the adjoining dining is a deep blue color. Should I go with a white frame, gold, black, burl wood? The last two photos are a tea towel I bought in the Brussels that I love that is similar, that is a similar color to the dining room that I'm thinking about framing and a mountain print I'm thinking about framing as well. Those pieces could go in the living room or dining room. Dining room has a totally blank wall that is not pictured. Also, for the living room layout, couches against the wall and chairs are against the wall, but anything I could do different? I thought about two smaller matching chairs that swivel and rock, but may not be in my budget at the moment. Would love your advice on frame colors for each piece and where you think they would look best in the rooms. Happy to move anything existing on the walls except the black frames piece. It's a landscape design I drafted and my husband made the frame for me a long time ago. So mostly she's looking, she's asking us about what color should she frame some art, right? And then some backup questions about what do you think of my furniture layout? Can I be annoying and say that that's actually probably the, a backwards way to look at this space? And people tend to zero in on these like details, like a frame color or, you know, a lampshade, when in fact, like there are a few things that could be happening in here right now that would make like an enormous difference. And yet people focus on like the smaller things. They're like, oh, I'm going to make or break my room by the frame color. And you probably won't. But you, you want to focus on your layout and like your your core things first. So tell her what to do big. Yeah. All right. So hit us with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so okay, Lauren, like, first of all, you're doing everything right with your drapes. You got them nice and high. I'm very proud of you. I love your rug. So you're winning already, right? It's a cute room. It's super cute. But I do think that it looks like there's a traffic flow pattern um, into the dining room. And so they're maybe worried about blocking that by making a cohesive seating area. And I would say that's the first area that needs to change. 
So if you have a great fireplace TV watching zone here, like they do, there's not a good seat in the house to watch TV right now, right? Everything's facing sort of the other direction and it's far apart. So create a seating area. And if that means bringing everything in around the fireplace and that means people have to walk around, that's okay. You, you want to get a really comfy living space. So if you have to turn your sofa and do the two smaller chairs, I would actually start there in investing before I bought any art and get my layout correct. And then because if you're buying art for this layout and then you change the layout, then you'd have to change the art. So I think you really want to get those pieces. You have a nice big rug, but it looks like nothing's, there's no anchor space. So that's a free, that's a free like thing, right? Just rearrange your furniture. Mm -hmm. So are you thinking like make it to where the sofa is parallel to the TV? Maybe, or maybe, yeah, maybe you turn everything or maybe you keep the sofa where it is and just do the two smaller chairs across, right? And maybe some ottomans there. But I hate to have a layout where the best spot to watch the TV or look at the fire isn't even being utilized, right? So right. you have to turn your head 90 degrees to watch television. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see. And I think those are those are the things like sometimes you're you're throwing money at things and you're not actually solving an original problem, which is probably like that who's sitting in that brown leather chair in the corner? Like, is somebody in trouble when they're over there, right? Or is that a reading room? All by themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so let's define that space a little better before we put some art over there. You know, and are you going to add an ottoman and a reading lamp and that's your reading corner? Great. Then let's put the art there. But I think you want to address the seating area first. Mm-hmm. And then buy all the art. And I think like, you know, on a white wall, a white frame tends to look a little more coastal. So it seems that you have a little bit more of a traditional transitional vibe going. So I would go with a colored frame or or a wood frame. That's just my two cents there. Okay. Let me ask about the sofa because like, obviously she can move it, which may make a lot of sense. But if she does want to keep the sofa in generally the same location and she centered it under the window, which is very sensible. But I feel like because of where the location of the window is, it makes the sofa like really tight to the fireplace. But she does seem to have room, like if you're facing the sofa, to the right. So would it be weird if she kind of like maybe swapped the side tables to where the bigger side table is in the corner? Is on the other is in the corner. Yeah. And then put like a narrower side table on the right hand side and then moved her sofa. I mean, it won't be centered. So maybe that'll be real weird. But but it's already on the drapery, right? So it's like, it's hard anyway to open and close those drapes, I'm sure, right? With the sofa, maybe we're not seeing, maybe it's like six inches. Maybe she left a little breathing room. But I mean, yeah, I think you you play around with that the placement of the sofa. And I don't think it's as important to center it on the window as it is to get a nice seating area there. Um, even if you have to move like all of like take all the end tables and put them in in another room and then just get those four pieces the coffee table the sofa the two chairs sort of dialed in to decide if you need to get the smaller chairs but before i bought any more art and frames i would say you know what scale chairs do i need and can i keep one that i already have or can i keep you know whatever or do i get another sofa so that i have like two sofas facing each other and it's really cozy so that's I think those getting that seating area dialed in is really like a priority number one. Yeah. Because it does seem like, I mean, I, I love her rug so much. That's a good size. So I feel like it's probably makes, it looks like maybe the rug needs to go a little further toward the fireplace so that all the furniture is on the rug. But that's like rule number one, one, one is like, make sure all the feet of your furniture are on your rug if you can. But I do think 
it's such a great rug to start with that I think it needs to, like something needs to be it needs to be grounding something. And there, right now it feels like it's all spread apart. And you know what? I know we I know we talk a lot of SHIT about your man's your man's leather chair that's hideous, but I this, is, like a, this is a great looking leather chair. Like this is a leather chair that <laughs> you don't have to be sad about. <laughs> no, I like it. I do like it. I, I think I don't think that needs to go. But I always when we're doing a furniture layout, you know, you really want to ask these questions. Like sometimes people put stuff places because they think it just like fills up a space, which I feel like is what's happening with that chair. And unless someone's sitting in that corner, then let's bring it back into the conversation area, right? So let's not put a bench in a hallway where no one's sitting to take off shoes or something just to put a bench in a hallway. So really ask yourself those questions. Like, why is this here? Someone putting a drink here, someone sitting here. And if not, then, then edit and revise. I love it how she put together this console though, because she clearly did this beautiful landscape drawing, like drawing of a landscape plan. It has this pretty like kind of seafoamy green in it from the grass. And then she has these great matching lamps flanking it. The art is like overscaled of the console. It just looks so good. So I love it. And I, I love, love this. Green. Yeah. And I think that it's probably in the rug more than we can see, but I like that, that she's brought it in. She has like living plants, which is like so important and most people don't do. So, and her lighting looks so delicious. Yeah. And, and the reading lamp in that corner is great. I mean, there's so many things that are right. I just, I think it's like so almost there to just tighten up that, that mm-hmm. layout. She's done an amazing job. It's so cute. It's super cute. And I love her dining room. She's got like a great kind of, you know, she's got sort of like an antique wooden table and then some Dana chairs and then some Parsons chairs. Like it's just... And she swagged her chandelier so it's right on, over her dining table so she gets an A plus from me. Good job. <laughs> Good job. All right. So hopefully we've answered your questions. Also, I feel like just for your art, I mean, I feel like it's just a good rule of thumb to pick whatever is going to look best with the art piece. Like and to, your, to your point about your frame, I don't feel like you, every room needs to have like a frame. Like no, a- it's what looks best with the art piece. That's how we pick our frames is always like, because whatever looks great best with the art piece will look best in your room because the art piece will be at its best. And you're always, you're going to move it around. Like it's not going to, you don't want to reframe it every time you move it. That's expensive. Unless, okay, I feel like there is one exception. If you are doing a uniform gallery wall where it's like family photos. Right then it probably should all be like white frames or black frames or whatever. That is true. I don't know. That's my two cents. I don't know about you, Kate. You're the expert. (laughs) I think if you're doing that, if you're doing that, you need a plan ahead, right? And you need to know where you're putting it. And I like to put all the, make, if we're going to do a gallery wall, like everything in black and white or, you know, something more uniform because otherwise it gets kind of a mess. So I think that is a whole other, maybe a whole other episode, but I agree. Yes. I think just go with what's, what makes the art look best. I think that's a great point. Yeah. All right, Kate, thank you so much. This, yes, was, this was a great, a fun convo. So that's so fun. I'm glad we got to do it. Tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work, all that good oh, stuff. Oh, yes. You can definitely follow me on Instagram, which is my favorite platform at KL Interiors. You can learn a little bit about my life and the trials and tribulations of being a designer. Um, you can also find me on my website at Kate Lester Interiors and my store is katelesterhome.com. So come check it out. Lots of good stuff on there. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Please buy it so I don't take it home. <laughs> I don't want to get a divorce. <laughs> Help me stay married. 
<laughs> I love it. All right. Well, thanks, ladies. It's been so fun. Yes. Thank you so much. See you soon. All right. That's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast.ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating.